Welcome to episode 13 of the Climate Vanguard podcast. This podcast series tracks the progress made in setting up Climate Vanguard, a radical youth-led research institute that illuminates the systemic drivers of environmental breakdown and advances the research needed to arrest climate and ecological collapse. We cover our ups and downs, successes and failures. You hear it all. It should also be noted that we publish every other Wednesday. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about Climate Vanguard Operation Launch. Yep, you heard that right. It's almost launch time. So mark your calendars, folks, because June is the month that we take off. Strap it. Click. Click. In this episode, we really want to detail all of the different types of things we have to do before launch. Kind of pull back the curtain and reveal what's going to be happening behind the scenes. So perhaps begin with one of the really essential items on that list, and that is our visual design. So as you may or may not be aware, we have been working with No Shame, a new creative design studio over the past couple of months to develop our branding, which includes logo, color palette, fonts, and other visual elements. And we finally wrapped up that, what ended up being close to four months, we ended up wrapping up that process quite recently, and we now have a very amazing and sick design aesthetic. And shout out to No Shame, because they're amazing, and we really hope that everyone takes time and looks at their Instagram or their website, because they are on some hype shit. And also, shout out to our design team, who have also been an integral part of this design process, who have helped us so much in terms of articulating our ethos and communicating with No Shame, and ultimately developing this final branding, which now exists and we have in the flesh well not in the flesh but on our computers yeah i think it'd be interesting for folks to hear actually about what this process was like so actually first of all when we first started taking climate vanguard seriously i remember so distinctly that jack and i were in the kitchen envisioning what our logo would be and we have this little piece like scrap of paper like designing before we had anything we we're like all right first thing logo, logo. <laughs> So we were in our kitchen, like, oh, like, oh, maybe it could be like a rising phoenix, like coming from the ashes, some just really amateur stuff. And we we're like scribbling on this tiny piece of paper, trying to bring our idea to life. And then Jack was like, maybe we should take a step back and actually talk to people to see if this idea even makes any coherent sense. And then from there, ultimately, we tried to get a design team that could do this all for us. But then we realized, in fact, that this is so essential to who we are as an organization, we should try to outsource it to a professional studio. That makes sense. That was a big step for us. We are like, wow, I didn't even know we could do that. Like, can we actually work with a professional studio to develop our branding? Like, already that was a huge step from going from drawing the logo ourselves on a napkin in our kitchen (laughs) to saying, okay, maybe we have some friends who know about design who could do something in-house for us, to then thinking, wait a minute. Let's think bigger, like maybe a professional studio could actually do this work for us. Yeah. And from there, we started looking up different design studios. And I think we ultimately contacted around four. But after we sent that initial email explaining Climate Vanguard, we actually got a lot of enthusiasm from these design studios. We're like, sick, this is awesome. They're taking interest in our idea. This is going to be great. Then we got in touch with one of Jack's uncle's friends, who's kind of a fixture in the design industry and works at a studio, who revealed more about what this process looks like and importantly, what this process costs. We were a bit riled to hear that this process could cost up to 10,000 pounds. and Kind of at least 10,000 pounds for, for a, a very, comprehensive design process. A very comprehensive design process. 
So we said, well, we don't have that. But the way to basically navigate around that is that some studios will actually do pro bono work for you if they actually believe in your idea, if they think that you will be successful and that you could ultimately come back to them when you have funding and contract out more design elements. So ultimately we sent back emails again to all of these design studios. And then one of was like, yeah, no, we can't do that for you. We kind of had to come clean and say, listen, we actually forgot to mention this in our initial email. We have zero dollars. So one of them dropped out of the race immediately. They were like, yeah, we're actually good. We can't take on any pro bono work, which is fair enough. You don't blame them for that. But three of them said they would still be interested in working with us because of the idea that we presented to them because of Climate Vanguard and they took particular interest in this idea. Um, So we ended up, I guess, having calls with three of them. And that was also a weird process. Like all of a sudden, it felt like we had the power somehow and like they were trying to pitch to us in some way, which was a super weird process. We're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, we should surely be like desperate for any of these people to do anything for us. And the tables somehow kind of reversed. We were talking to three different studios. Ultimately, we landed on no shame just because their sort of whole ethos seemed to be really in line with us. They're sort of funky, quirky, uh, just different, I would say, right? Young as well. If you go on their website, you just look up no shame design studio you'll immediately pick up what we're talking about. They just have a very interesting aesthetic design language and the people behind it are amazing. Also, yeah, their story of the people behind it, I think was something that certainly drew us to them and made us think that there was a lot of crossover in terms of what we were doing and who they are as people. Yeah. Because they came from working at design firms that produce designs in the sort of hyper corporate landscape and ultimately just said, Like, we cannot produce this work anymore. This is not what we believe in as people. And so they quit their jobs and set up their own studio last summer. And so that story was like, we're like, wow, that's so cool. And it just seemed to make sense. We had a lot of chemistry with them when we called on our call. And we sort of knew, okay, we want to go with no shame. Um, There was an immediate connection. Yeah. I remember we got off the call and Jack and I kind of shot up out of our chairs. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, we, like, we, we found the studio that we need. That was sick. That was sick. <laughs> anyway. and, yeah, and then from there, it was a multi-month long process of us first developing our own mood boards in collaboration with our design team, saying that to no shame, and then no shame sending multiple iterations of different mood boards, finally getting a certain art direction pinned down, and then multiple iterations of different design elements. And four or five months later, we finally landed on a coherent set of brand guidelines. It's been an amazing process, yeah. truly. Every time we had a meeting with them and they were revealing new designs, it was like Christmas. We just get so we're like, wow, this excited. is amazing. And I guess that's why we say we were so lucky. One, that any sort of design studio would be willing to produce free work for us, but also in particular, that they were willing for it to be such a collaborative process and took so much time with us to make sure that the product that they gave us was ultimately what we really wanted. They could have easily just said, okay, tell us your idea. We'll go ahead in a couple of weeks and just throw some designs together and we'll give it to you. And that's it sorted. But no, this has taken literally four months of going back and forth and tweaking ideas and developing the idea to arrive at what we now have is this like complete branding package. And so that's why we are so incredibly, first of all, proud of it, feel incredibly lucky and just so incredibly excited that we have this great asset that helps describe our ethos and describe who we are that we can now start implementing onto our website, eventually onto our social medias, and all other forms of our sort of branding and outward looking. And notably, 
the podcast cover art should be changing soon to reflect our branding. So be on the lookout for that. So I guess that is some sort of summary of the process that we've been going through for the last many months in terms of design and why we're so happy to have this branding kind of complete now. And now it's about implementation on different platforms. And I guess that brings us to some of the other updates on this road to launch. In June. Operation launch. Operation launch. Um, is that, so we have to start now really, now that we have the design, we really have to start developing the website now and implementing the designs on the website, making sure that the website structure makes sense. We just completed our site map. We're now writing all the copy that will populate each of the pages on our website. All these things that really, quite frankly, we had no idea that we'd have to be doing. Of course, for someone who's already set up an organization, probably makes sense or even set up a website. But think on our journeys, this is just so far from what we've done before. We're just kind of taking as we go and learning like, oh, we're actually gonna have to do that. And it's really fun. We're definitely taking it in our stride. But there are a lot of things to be done. And so the website is definitely one of the big pieces of the puzzle that we're working on right now as we gear up to launch. To be fair, though, we started thinking about the website a long, long time ago. I mean, I remember, first of all, we mocked it up on my iPad after, in fact, going down to Elephant and Castle and having dinner and and maybe a few too many beers, discuss what the structure of the website looks like. And that was maybe in October. Yeah. So we've been very conscious of that. And Scott, our web development team lead, he, he actually built us a website like a couple months ago that is now being developed into more of a formalized template. So he, this has been in the back the, of our... The one-man team. The one-man the one team, but... But he is the leader of the one-man team. We don't need anyone else besides Scott. No. Yeah, Shout no, that's Scott. totally true. Like we, we, I think that's probably emblematic of a lot of other aspects of this process is that we see things coming down the line. And I think we're quite good at sort of thinking of all the aspects that we need to have sorted by the time we launch. But I don't think we understandably had a full understanding of like, what does it actually look like to build out a website? Sure, we came back many months ago after being a little bit drunk from a pub and sketched some stuff up on a website. It was pretty on, good. On an iPad, which was pretty fire. It was but pretty fire. That's quite a long way away from understanding like, okay, we're going to need to actually have someone who develops the website, who can code. We're going to need all this copy to be putting on the website. We're going to need visuals that marry up with this design language that we ultimately developed. Like... There's just a lot, of, a lot of things, a lot of things. What's good though is that it's coming together and that's amazing. I think uh, another aspect that we're now actively working on is our social media. And this really comes off a multi-month process of developing a really great social media strategy in coordination with our communications team. And now it's about bringing it to life in a very visual sense. What does it look like? What does our Instagram feed look like? What is our Twitter stream going to be focusing on um but especially that visual element and that's really exciting and i think actually an area we're going to need a little bit of help with because it's difficult to really pinpoint what we need and how to operationalize the process to get into a sick instagram aesthetic for sure it's something that i think we're going to be actively working on with no shame in our design team is how do we actually develop a uh, an aesthetic on instagram in particular on social media which I think we've thought about, okay, what is this going to look like on a website? What does our branding look like in general? But on social media, it's quite a particular form of visual aesthetic or branding. And so that's something we're actively working on. And yeah, we'll need to put more work into as well because social media is going to be such an important part of our our outward facing, a piece of our outward facing It's probably the main tool through which we will communicate to our audience. Yeah, especially... I mean, to the the most amount of people. Yeah, we're engaging with young people also who are, as we've said before, like creatures of the social media space it's an imperfect tool 
Yeah, social it's media. just a necessary one to it's engage. A with. It's a frustrating one. one because it is social media and has so many drawbacks and problems. But and it's also connected to Meta, the true, aka Mark Zuckerberg's anti-democratic fascist organization. These are some of the pills you have to swallow when we live in this capitalist world. Facts. Anywho, switching gears a little bit, one of the other large sort of components that we have to sort out as we lead up to our launch and as we develop our website is figuring out our board, what our board will look like, and figuring out what are the attributes that we want in board members, brainstorming who do we already know, who will we might need to go out and do a new round of outreach with, expressly with the purpose of finding new board members, and finding a really good balance between intellectual backing, young people, people grounded in activism, diversity of lived experience, geographical diversity, and perhaps even some other buckets of skill sets that people might bring in terms of communication, in terms of funding, business. Know-how, acumen. Yeah. So there are a lot of aspects of this board building process that we still are sort of mapping out. And it's we really see it as quite important to have a board. One, because it provides some legitimacy for someone coming onto our website and saying, okay, who is, who's actually supporting this new initiative? But also because there's a very practical reason of we want a really interesting dynamic board that can help steer some of our functioning, that can help advise, that can provide feedback on our operations. So there are a few perspectives from which our board is super important. And that's one of the things that we are actively turning our attention towards now. Well said. I think it is really a point where we're trying to formalize a lot of these connections that we've made through outreach over the first couple of months and institutionalize those relationships so that they formally put their name to Climate Vanguard, that they're on our website, but also that they are completely buying into who we are and the organization we're trying to set up. And it may even entail more outreach if we feel like we're missing some of those key areas that you outlined. But it's super exciting because it provides that legitimacy and the infrastructure crucially for us to develop because some of these conversations we have with some of our advisors are always so formative and really steer our direction from a different path that we were on. Absolutely. And I guess just using this case of developing a board as a means to describe a little bit about what the process is like for us in developing Climate Vanguard, there are just so many hidden elements that we could not have foreseen otherwise until we actually addressed the issue. So we were like, okay, we need a board. First, we need to figure out what are the features of our board that we want included? Who are the people that can fulfill that? Who do we already know? Who do we need to reach out to? And then we thought, okay, actually, before reaching out to anybody, we need to figure out what are the terms of reference for this board? And then that's a whole another process. We need to figure out, okay, how do you even write terms of reference? So we need to then go to some of our advisors, some of the incubation programs that we're a part of to try to get that advice. And that adds another layer of time and complication, which is super important and interesting for us to try to figure out. But there are just all these sort of unforeseen steps that pop up at every turn, which is kind of part of the exciting aspect of building this project. We're learning just so, so much. And every day it feels like when we try to tackle something, there are more things that we learn that we didn't even know we didn't know. In terms of strategy, you have to think to such a minute detail. For example, we're going to reach out to one person before we get in touch with another to show that other person that we have the legitimacy of this one person. So the process of even reaching out has to be thought about and really diligently operationalized. I do find that sometimes, actually, that there are so many decisions that we need to be making all the time about everything. I found it in the design process as well. There are so many decisions that we get asked, like, do you want it to be this way or that way? And then we'd ask each other, should we phrase something this way or that way? And that can get quite tiring sometimes. Like just the sheer amount of decision-making that goes into this, everything, every detail has to be decided upon. Nothing is a given because we're literally building something from scratch. 
So everything that we build is a decision. And that's good because we put so much intention behind everything, every word that we write, the visual aesthetics that we're developing. But it is quite tiring, I think, at times to have to make that many decisions all the time. A lot of this can feel quite tiring, in fact making these constant decisions about every single element about this organization that you're building from scratch, which is really exciting, but also there comes a certain element of relentlessness that you have to deal with. But it's just part of being a co-founder and the leader of an organization that you feel so passionate about is that decisions will have to be made from very small, minute details to very large ones in terms of our vision and our long-term direction. And I think we just have to be conscious of how fortunate we are for that because we could be working in a job where we have no say really about what we want to do. And especially we're able to make these decisions about things that we're so passionate about. It's like it's a dream gift. come true. Like it's literally a dream come true. We're so lucky that we get to decide. For sure, we're, we are so, so lucky. So that covers visual branding done. We're trying to implement Check. that now on our website. In and in our social media, both in process. We're actively on the board search and board development process. Then the next piece of the puzzle that leads up to this launch is actually writing our first report, which will be on our website upon launch. And this report is going to be on dismantling the fossil fuel industry, most likely here in the UK. So we want to come up with a blueprint that can be immediately used by activists and other movements in order to help shape their political demands and provide legitimacy to what they're doing. Initially, we wanted the first report to be on the division between nature and society, which we located in our roots category, where we look at the roots of the climate and ecological crisis. But we realized that we want to launch with a bang that has immediate relevancy with our target audience. And this was particularly realized after we met with one of our advisors and said, hey, actually, you know, I like this idea about the nature society division report. And you can always roll that out at some point. But I think when you launch, you have to do so in a way that immediately grabs eyes. It it makes immediate sense, especially with your target audience. How how are you going to merge onto the world? And this idea of dismantling the fossil fuel industry by bringing it under democratic public control, slowly ramping it down according to science-based timeline is just so essential, not only in terms of this emergency response that we're trying to craft, this coherent political economic vision, but it's also just essential in general to realize a a bit of a world. We have to dismantle the fossil fuel industry immediately. It's like disarming a nuclear bomb. It's it's just got to be done immediately. And I think that it also is a little bit more in line with our intention to launch by being a little bit provocative, yeah. certainly. And a report that outlines dismantling the fossil fuel industry is a little bit more provocative than detailing the history of the nature-society divide. And I think that's also like something that we, we deal with and are going to have to deal with more in the future is remaining grounded in what is practical, what actually makes the most sense at the time, what is useful to people, to our target audience, which are activists in the youth climate movement, and at times detaching ourselves from what intellectually actually makes the most sense which intellectually what would make the most sense is starting with this foundational root of the climate crisis, which is the nature side division, and then building up to what is the response based on that root. And in this case, we're actually going to be launching with one of the emergency response pillars that we have, which is dismantling the fossil fuel industry, and instead publishing the root later. And that's just something that we have to do because we want our work to actually have impact and be useful to activists now. That's what I was going to say is that we did put thought into why we wanted to start with the Roots Report. We basically wanted to take our target audience by the hand and really walk them through what radical political economic change looks like. And of course, that is informed by the roots of the climate and ecological crisis. The roots then inform the emergency response in the short term which then should be transcendent to a long-term post-capitalist world built on these two key pillars of planetary well-being and human flourishing, and then also complementing that with a dead-ends report 
by criticizing the so-called solutions that are being discussed in elite policy circles. So that is kind of our whole intellectual architecture. But like you were saying, Jack, we have to somehow negotiate that real sense of wanting it to be thorough and wanting to make complete sense with, you know, having immediate impact and relevancy. Yeah, you have to sort of sacrifice some of that like intellectual coherence almost just to ensure that it's immediately impactful and relevant and useful, in fact, for people. That's the important thing. Change makers in the world. The use value of it. Yeah, that sort of summarizes another one of these large tasks that we have to do and lead up to launch is actually write this report and determine some co-authors to help us out in the research and the writing process, which we're really excited about. Another completely different type of task that we're taking on before launch is developing some merch, some merchandise. Merch. Yeah, you heard that right. Merch. You heard that right. A post-capitalist research institute developing yeah, some you're merch. You're probably thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> these boys are... These, what the fuck? What the fuck? These guys are saying... Consumerist. Don't worry. Don't worry. Dare it's they live in the world. Upcycled. And screen printing it with our own designs. You heard that right. Merch. <laughs> you, you will be able to get some. You uh, out there will be able to get some merch. We'll so we particularly want the merch to be ready for our last task before launching, which is actually organizing and throwing our launch party where our merch will be available. It will be displayed as well as the rest of our branding. And actually we have someone from our design team taking the lead on our merch. Gonna be cool merch. It's gonna be sick. We're gonna get some upcycled hoodies, some upcycled shirts, screen print the shit out of them with some awesome designs. Our logo is something cool, like a slogan that says... Just some cool shit. Are you, I'm part of the Vanguard. Are you? Just, that's cool shit. And that's a rhetorical question because everyone should be. So yeah, the launch party, I mean, that's a whole host of logistics that we're going to have to work out that honestly, we really haven't even begun opening that campaign. All we know is that it's going to be sick. All, yeah, that's, all, that's the only thing we can guarantee. Basically what we're saying, we don't know anything about the launch party other than it's going to be sick and our merch will be there. So... Well, we do know a couple of things. Ideally, what we want to do... Jack's giving me a look... Effectively, the point of the launch party is, again, to launch with a bang, to bring together climate activists, a lot of youth in order to highlight this organization, the role it can play, how can it intersect with their own organizations. And I think friends and potentially family. To celebrate our success as well. And uh, those who have helped us along the way, effectively. And after being in touch with another uh, one of our kind of connections, they mentioned perhaps developing our own unique craft beer, a Climate Vanguard IPA which is what they did when they launched their organization. But my question is, what if the beer is so successful and the clothing is so successful that we just become a beer merch company? I mean, that's a cold reality. We're going to have to stare <laughs> in the, the face. Fuck? We're like making billions off of beer. Like, Are we, we trying to type up these reports? Could we Why is that way beer stardom just to say, no, no, we're trying to dismantle the fossil fuel industry or I've got to write a report on the nature of society. Uh, this is the it. best beer I've ever had. Please, we want more. No, fuck off. We're trying to make a report. Yeah. I mean, that could be... Alternatively, alternatively, the beer and the merch become so successful they fund us and our research still takes off. That would be the best. That would be, I mean, ideal because then we'd be developing cool merch, cool beer. Great beer. Great beer. The taste of revolution. And being able to produce some reports. And to say that it's like fueled by the taste of revolution would be quite a cool slogan as well. Powered by the taste of revolution. Yeah, I like that. I like how that sounds. Cool. I think it have to be an IPA. I want something, I want something like free. Or do we go like straight ale? Yeah, like, so the revolution is going to be difficult. To man. all of our listeners, <laughs> it's not going to be the type of difficult questions. It keeps us up at night. We have to answer. Like these are the decisions that we were alluding to earlier. We have to make these decisions. Is our launch beer a pale ale? Is it an IPA? Is it a stout? Is it a lager? If it's the taste of revolution, folks, I want to hear. I want to hear your thoughts on this. So get in touch with us. 
does it not have to be not taste very good? Because Revolution is going to be hard. I think it almost has to be a balance. Like, it tastes like shit the first sip, but it's like, wow, we're moving to something amazing. Yeah, like, we're, we're destroying a fucked up system and building something better. It has to be a whole continuum of culinary yeah, it experience excites and you. flavors. I, I think in, like, the sort of second half of the experience, it sort of starts to excite you, and then it leaves an aftertaste that just leaves you wanting to head in that direction. Wanting more. You, know? you want more after. You the want another beer. actually sculpts the vision of the future. You want in the more. Back of your throat. You have one pint of the Climate Vanguard, whatever it ends up being, beer. And then it's like, oh, fuck, this tastes fucking shit. But it's like, oh, wait, something's going on here. Oh, other people are drinking it as well. Other people are joining the revolution. Okay, we're moving towards something amazing. This is really good. And then you move through this culinary mosaic. And then you ultimately end up with a taste in your mouth. You just want more. I want more beer. Hammered at our launch party. And then after (laughs) everyone gets hammered, we'll be taking action. We're going to take some action that's in line with our first report. So that sort of... (laughs) Take a turn. (laughs) We we charted our path to becoming a beer merch magnet. (laughs) But that sort of hopefully gives an indication to our listeners of the super diverse things that we have to be sorting out before launch. That we have to be in place before we launch in June. To go through it, it's primarily beer. (laughs) But also important are implementing our visual designs, developing our website, Developing some of the initial social media posts and figuring out what our social media aesthetic is going to look like. Developing our board, in term, including terms of reference. I don't even know what that really means, but we're going to figure it out. Write our first report. Develop our sick line of merch. So-called merch. And plan a huge launch party. To all my bathtub brewers out there, get in touch because we need <laughs> all hands on deck. It's going to be a grassroots brewing process. All I'm saying is... Don't be surprised if you come into the Climate Vanguard flat and you see just a massive vat of homebrew. We've got pipes coming out of the ceiling. Yeah. Maybe our screen printing. Yeah, our yeah. screen printing in our kitchen. Yeah. Turns into an art factory. And then, and then we have some... We, we'll obviously be typing in one of our bedrooms, maybe in the actual bathroom, because I don't know our bedrooms might be... Well, I think the, ba- the bathroom will most likely be brewing. Yeah. So there will be a little the, library. A little in the bathroom. We'll have to turn something into a library to start... A cozy nook. Like, Type of feverishly way. typing and researching yeah turn our kitchen into a screen printing operation it's gonna be sick so stay tuned climate vanguard operation launch mark your calendars folks because june we're taking off thank you guys for listening to this episode which detailed all the things that we have to do leading up to our super exciting launch we'll, we'll to- see you on the next episode of the climate vanguard podcast Peace. bye